It's unfortunate, but typically, when you have a conversation with a stranger, they're not going to immediately start talking about Jesus or their faith experience or the fruits of their prayer. But since I've been ordained a priest, it turns out that a lot of people like to share these insights with a priest because I'm identifiable as a person of faith. So I'm in the grocery store, I'm getting my oil changed, whatever it might be, that as I appear as a priest, I have people come up to me and to my great benefit, I get to share in their uh, fruits of prayer and their spiritual insight. And sometimes I use it for homilies like I'm going to do right now. So I had a conversation recently, I'm not nobody here, um, <laughs> with somebody, and they asked me just kind of out of the blue, Father, would somebody be able to tell that you are a Christian? And I looked down at myself, and I was wearing clerical shirt, the clerical shirt. Um, I was dressed as a priest, and I thought, well, yes, of course. Thinking, obviously, yeah, I appear as a priest. Of course, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple of Christ. He says, yeah, 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 whatever. I'm not talking about that. Because, <laughs> yes, you appear as a Christian, you know, with what you're wearing. But he said, if you took away the clerical shirt, you took away the crucifix, the scapular, the rosary, any other identifiable Christian symbolism, would somebody be able to pick you out of a crowd after interacting with you in some time and be able to recognize you as a Christian? And I thought, well, I hope so, but I brought this to prayer and actually reflected on it. What makes someone a Christian, an identifiable Christian in the world, in today's world? Because there's a lot of ideas of what a Christian is. <laughs> Oftentimes the world will tell us, this is what a Christian ought to be. The world will say, this is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And typically it gets boiled down to a very generic idea of niceness and politeness, pleasantness. A Christian ought to be pleasant. A Christian ought to be nice. Well, sin's pleasant. Sin's nice. Candy's pleasant. Candy's nice. Is there something more to Christianity than these? Oftentimes, I look at it as kind of like the pixie sticks Catholicism or Christianity. If you ever had a pixie stick before, as a kid, they're great. It's just basically a paper tube of sugar. And it's great in the moment. You have this sugar rush. But then you have a crash, and that's it. There's nothing there. There's this strong sense of pixie sticks Catholicism, especially in the media, especially in the world, and oftentimes, especially in our church, where it's this very base, well, I'm just, I just got to be a nice person. I just got to be pleasant. When things get tough, we encounter true darkness and opposition in the world, pixie sticks ain't going to cut it. Things being nice or pleasant is not enough. When we experience the loss of a job, illness or death in our lives there has to be something more for us to continue there has to be something more for me to live and proclaim to be a Christian there's so much darkness in the world that leads to a sense of hopelessness you watch tv and you watch the news you check social media feeds you talk to anybody for any length of time and eventually you'll touch on the topic of tragedy the topic of despair, or some darkness in the world. And I think truly to be an identifiable Christian in the world is seen in the second reading today with Peter. He speaks about hope, to be a witness to hope in a hopeless world, to be a witness to hope in Jesus Christ, that when most people can't even face their dragons and recognize that they are there, 
We were able to see those things in life and to be able to face them not only with courage, but with joy and knowing in hope of our Lord's love and mercy and his conquering over sin and death. That is what Peter is talking about, to be a witness to hope. So that kind of people see and recognize that, that beacon of light in the midst of darkness to say, what do you have to be so happy about? Especially in a world today where, oddly enough, we have so much Um, uh, there's more people who aren't suffering from starvation. There's more people who have access to clean water and internets, this miraculous thing. Yet we have a higher rate of suicide, a higher rate of despair and desolation, depression. And there is this deep desire for something more. And how much more brilliant that light of true faith when someone has that hope in the midst of a hopeless situation. It's not cheap hope. It's not things are going to be fine or I'm going to ignore it, but it's that hope that endures. Recognizing that greater gift of faith and being able to speak about it, not only in words, but in actions. That's what Peter's referring to, is that testimony to hope. Say, what do you have to be hopeful for? I have so much to be hopeful for. I have the victory of Jesus Christ to be hopeful for. I have the conquering of sin and death to be hopeful for. I have the comfort in knowing that even as I encounter these things in this time, these struggles, these oppositions, that I have the joy of knowing that they will not persist, that I have victory in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to do so, as Peter says, not as a a weapon to be wielded, because oftentimes that's that's what can happen, is we can use our faith as a weapon or a way of shaming or or a way of, of pointing out the flaws of others, but instead using our faith to point to Christ, to point to the victory, to point to hope, and to live it out in our lives. And yes, doing so is is not something that the world takes kindly to. There is opposition. There is struggle. There is rejection in being a witness and a a, a testifier to hope in the world. But it's worth it. Even as we suffer, we are suffering and experiencing persecution for the sake of that greater gift of the gospel. We are imitating Christ in desiring to point out and to be a witness to that greater gift of the Father's love. So that even as we experience death, perhaps that tragedy of of a loss in the family, obstacles, real darkness, sickness, fear of all of these things, that we continue to persist with hope. Perhaps we're not in a place where we can hope. Right now we're in this time of Easter, which is the season of hope. It's supposed to recenter us on our Lord's love and mercy, to persist even with that hope in the resurrection. In a couple weeks, we're going to be celebrating Pentecost, which is that reception of the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit of God which dwells within us, that allows us to face these things and to live in that gift of hope, to live in that new life in Christ, here and now, as we persist by this greater gift in anticipation of the resurrection. But it's not easy. And it's something we have to ask for. Lord, help me to have hope. In the midst of this darkness, help me to truly trust in your love and mercy, to have hope and to face these dragons in my life, these struggles, this darkness, and to do so with joy. Not just to get through it, but to have joy even in the midst of the struggle. And that's a gift of God. That's a gift of the lifeblood of God's grace given to us through the church and in our connection with him in prayer. To kind of connect two themes... We see this reflection of that gift of hope um, in a very unique way in motherhood. 
That um, just as there is uh, a lot of darkness in the world and there's almost an attack on that gift of hope, there's also really a true attack on motherhood. That in motherhood itself, when seen in its beauty and in its natural state, there is a feminine genius that cannot be found anywhere else that points to God, that points to that hope, that nurturing, that caring, that true love and compassion that is uniquely found in a very specific way in motherhood. There's this uh, Lutheran uh, theologian, I know Lutheran, but <laughs> it's some good stuff. Um, he uh, goes into, his name's Peter Berger. He goes into uh, what he calls minor transcendentals. So a transcendental means something that transcends uh, our, our natural reality, something that points to something that's more. So for example, a traditional um, transcendental would be beauty or truth. But these point to something more. They point to God, ultimately, the subjective reality of a God, a creator who loves his creation. So we have these minor transcendentals of Peter Berger, and one of them is uh, a mother comforting her child, which is incredible. It's a beautiful image, um, and it's this persisting sense of everything is going to be okay. When I was young, I used to have a lot of night terrors, and they're wild dreams, and I remember one particular instance where I had a dream. It was after watching an episode of Arthur, the TV show. Um, it had something to do with broccoli people. So I was having this crazy dream with broccoli people, and they were kind of horrifying. They weren't doing anything in the dream. They were just broccoli people. They are people with broccoli um, sprouting out of their heads, <laughs> which for a little, little Gabe was horrifying. And I remember screaming and crying. <laughs> and first my dad came in, and he said, it's going to be okay. It's fine. Don't worry. Calm down. All the things you would say. And I was a mama's boy. <laughs> I was like, I want mom. I need mom. It's like, okay, well, your mom wants to get some sleep. It's like, no, I need mom. So my mom came in. She said essentially the same thing. It's going to be okay. Broccoli people aren't real. You're fine. It's going to be okay. Go to bed. And I believed her. It was going to be Okay. That there is this image in motherhood that points to that greater hope, that trust and comfort in the Lord, that things are going to be okay, even as they aren't. That hope points us to trust that the Lord will take care of it, that in the end everything will be okay. And it's not a lie coming from a mother's lips to tell her child this, it's a promise. It's a promise we experience in our mothers. It's a promise we experience in the mother, Holy Mother Church itself. And it's a promise we cling to in faith. That we continue to persist in that greater gift of hope. As it is revealed in the church, in our mothers as minor transcendental. And as we continue this pilgrimage of faith. So I encourage us, especially as we continue this final stretch of Easter, to really take advantage of this season of hope. To really entrust ourselves, in particular, through the intercession of Our Lady, it's her month, um, and to entrust our mothers to her as well, to ask that she mediate that gift of greater hope, hope in the midst of darkness, not only that we may be sustained and be able to get through it, but that we can reflect that hope in our lives, that we live it out as a testimony, not being fearful or afraid of what other people might think, but actually living in that gift of new life in Christ as a beloved son or daughter of God, as a disciple of Christ, visible and identifiable. Amen.